This morning's reading is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28, and it can be found on page 982 of the Church Bibles in the chairs in front of you. So that's Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 to 28. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Thank you very much for that reading. Please keep your Bibles open there at Matthew 15. We're going to be looking at it in detail in a moment. Let's just bow our heads for a, a word of prayer. Father, we come Sunday by Sunday to your word. And we pray that you'd really open it to us this morning and what it is that you have to teach us, that you would teach us clearly that we may respond to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can see we're continuing our study of Matthew's Gospel this morning. Let me set the scene for a moment. That's quite easy. Just look down there at verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is the only occasion when Jesus left the country and went abroad. We've been noticing over the past few weeks the ministry of Jesus around Capernaum, uh, healings, uh, miracles, walking on the water, great crowds like the feeding of the 5,000, The crowds are reaching fever pitch as they listen to him, and the disciples are enthralled. They feel that any moment he's going to announce the kingdom of heaven on earth. But it doesn't happen. Suddenly it seems that Jesus wants space. He needs privacy to prepare and nerve himself and the disciples for the ordeal of the cross. So he deliberately withdrew. Tyre and Sidon are two important cities about a hundred miles northwest of Capernaum. They're in Phoenicia. It's a foreign country, so the religious Jews are not likely to follow him there. So setting the scene. Jesus is in Phoenicia near Tyre and Sidon. It's the only occasion that he left the the country. Now, of course, in Tyre and Sidon, he's going to be safe from the malignant hostility of the scribes and Pharisees. He's going to be safe from the popularity posed by the crowds. But even there, of course, there's going to be human need, 
people are going to come to him with requests. And that's what happened straight away. Look at verse 22, a difficult situation. A plea for help. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering from terrible demon possession. Now we have a a big problem here. There can't be any doubt that Jesus is filled with compassion for the woman and her daughter. But the woman is a Gentile. And even worse, she's a Canaanite Gentile, the historic ancestral enemies of the Jewish people. Do you remember right the way back in the Old Testament that God gave his people a promised land, Canaan, but they had to get rid of the Canaanites uh, before they could enjoy the land. And ever since, the Canaanites have remained the arch enemy of the Jewish people. The disciples remind Jesus that the woman is becoming a nuisance. Verse 23, send her away. She keeps crying after us. You could translate that loosely if you wanted. Lord, give her what she wants just to get rid of her. Now, I think I need to to pause here because I think it's a difficult passage and it's not clear what is happening. Um, I don't think our English Bibles at this point really help us. Look down at verse 23 and verse 28. What do you see? Well, I see a lot of punctuation, full stops, commas, and a, a whole sea of quotation marks. Now, of course, there's no quotation marks in the original text. There's no punctuation in the original text. And some of the older scholars, and most notable today, Michael Green, wants us to notice verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. Could you hold on to that for a moment? Jesus did not answer a word. And what Michael Green suggests here, and I find very helpful, is at this point, Jesus is looking into the middle distance. And in a sort of wistful way, he's talking to himself. It's a soliloquy. (laughs) I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The woman that that comes even nearer and kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. Jesus is still looking into the middle distance. He said, it it can't be right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. The woman loves that. Immediately, she comes further forward and she picks up that half derogatory half-affectionate description of the dogs there, cunaria, which actually means puppets, the sort of puppets that are always there under the master's table looking for crumbs and scraps. And she says, yes, Lord. But even the puppets feed on the food that falls from the table. Jesus can't resist that. He gives in. He gives this woman what she wants. He heals her daughter, and she is healed. The passage is full of quite subtle points. He is divine. He works miracles. 
the clear objective of his ministry is there. He was sent to the house of Israel. But when he meets the extravagant faith of this Gentile woman, can he turn away? He can't. People matter more than tradition. Consistency is the vice of the small-minded. He gives in to her and does as she requires. Let's just remind ourselves where we've got to so far. We've set the scene that's in Phoenicia, the entire inside in this difficult situation, a, a cry for help, this Canaanite woman with a daughter suffering very badly from an evil spirit. Before we move on, just quickly notice two principles there that are, are very important in Christian living. The first in, uh, principle there is our circumstances provide us with opportunities. That's what's happening here. Jesus in, in Tyre and Sidon, those are his circumstances. This Gentile woman comes up with a problem. Uh, that's the opportunity that he has. It's the same with us. We might be in a, a queue in Tesco's, sitting on a train, waiting at a bus stop. Those are our circumstances. From various times, God will bring various opportunities into that, and we must notice them and act on us. Hazel was driving our grandson back to uh, Hove the other day. He's just back from Edinburgh reading philosophy, and he turned suddenly to Hazel and he said, Grandma, does Grandpa really believe the Bible? What an opportunity. Yes, she said. The second principle here is indomitable persistence. Jesus has already spoken about that. Do you remember? A man going to a friend at midnight, knocking on the door, asking for three loaves of bread. As he knocks, there's a sort of hollow cry from within. I'm in bed. The door's locked. The children are in bed. I can't get up. I can't help you. But Jesus says the friend will get up and he will preside the bread because of the man's boldness, <clears throat> his indomitable persistence. And the passage ends, you might remember, with the ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find. Jesus loves indomitable persistence. What is your major problem? Take it to God. What is your major problem? Take it to God. He, he loves persistence. Now, I'm quite long in the tooth. I've been a Christian well over 60 years. And I, I, I've discovered that quite often when we're doing this, we're persistent about a fact that very slowly God knows what is best for us, certainly knows what is best for me, and he changes my faith to accept what he has in mind. So two very important principles there. Now let's move on. And let's notice the human <coughs> response at the heart of this passage. Look at verse 28. Jesus is not looking into the middle distance now. He's not soliloquizing. He's not talking to himself. He's talking directly to the woman. Woman, you have great faith. 
your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So here is something that we actually know about Jesus. He responds to faith. Even the faith of a Canaanite woman, even the faith of, as I say, uh, one of the arch enemies of the Jewish people. Jesus can't resist faith. Let's have one or two things about faith here. What is faith? I love Dr. Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones' definition of faith. Faith is believing God. That's what's happening here. We don't know how, but this woman knows who Jesus is. Verse 22, Lord, Son of David. She's not struggling in a Canaanite language, trying to say, I know you're somebody important. I think you can probably help me. She doesn't say that. She speaks to him in his own language, Lord, Son of David. She knows exactly who Jesus is. She's saying to Jesus, I know you are the long-awaited Messiah of the Jewish people. Lord, Son of David, help me. So what is faith? It's belief in God. Let's look at another question here. A, A question that's been troubling me for about three months since I took the uh, away day for the Brighton and Hove mission, the city mission. Let's ask another question. Is it more difficult to have faith today than it was a few years ago? After thinking about this seriously for three months or so, my answer is yes. Let me explain what I mean. In a Christian circles, a few years ago, when people had a greater knowledge of Christian things. Let's go to 1865, the 25th of June. Sunday morning church in Brighton, very much like us. There was a man in the congregation. His name was Hudson Taylor. He felt that the congregation was rather smug and had no interest on the loss outside the church. And he got up and he left his place and he went outside the church and he walked down to the beach in Brighton and he pleaded God for missionaries for China to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to China. God gave him one or two people that sailed with him a short time after to China. Hudson Taylor was in China for 51 years. In those 51 years, God gave him over 800 missionaries to be with him. And those 800 missionaries saw over 18,000 conversions of Chinese men and women for Jesus Christ. Let's go forward from 1865 to 2017. Are things different today? Yes. I think they are. People don't, generally speaking, have an understanding of Christianity that they had in those days. And the uh, non-Christian world is getting bigger all the time and more vociferous with this message. And today we have 
24-hour-a-day media, blasting at everybody. That media is basically non-Christian. It's secular. The ideas are totally foreign to the people of God. The morals and ideals are foreign to the people of God too. The dreams and aspirations of the people we see and hear on our media are not ours. Is it different today? I think it's very different. And it means as a church, we've got to make sure that people out there actually hear God's word today. That's a difficult thing that we've got to do. And for ourselves, I'm told that the average person in England watches three and a half hours of television every day, that non-Christian media. That means that we have to switch off that media if we're going to hear God's voice. Uh, If not, our faith is going to wither and die. Let's come to my last point. What is this passage asking from us? Well, it's asking us for faith. Preferably strong, bold, indomitable, persistent faith. Let, Let me imagine two scenarios here. Imagine someone who's not a Christian wanting to become a Christian. Phil was talking last week about tradition and religion, how it doesn't help. So imagine someone, a man or a woman that's been coming to BH for the last few weeks. They are attracted by the teaching. They're thrilled with the idea of forgiveness, salvation, the kingdom of God. What sort of faith do they need? Often when we're in this position, we turn to the New Testament to see how we should respond to God. I'm going to turn today to the Old Testament. The the pictures are the same. Uh, I sometimes think they're much more powerful. We've been looking at David and Saul recently. In the end, there was this terrible battle, and Saul was mortally wounded. And suddenly David said, Has anybody seen Saul? And one of his followers said, yes, he's over there resting on his sword. The the picture is that Saul has stuck his sword into the ground and he's resting on that. Every bit of energy that he has, every bit of energy that he has is on his sword. He's got no strength to do anything else. You want to come to God? What's all the faith you need? You need to put all of your energy, everything that you have on, on God. We rest on Thee. We put all our energy on Thee, and in Thy strength we go. So the scriptures, there's another word in the Old Testament, comes in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 20. Cleave to Him. Be glued to Him. Because He is your life. How do we come to Christ? We rest on him. We cleave to him. We're glued to him. Because that's the only way we can have life. So we're imagining a a non-Christian. How do they, what sort of faith do they need to come to God? Let's look at another picture. Let's look at an ordinary member of BH. What sort of faith do they need? Well, we know our principles for the year, our aims for the year, make Sunday special. 
make the church hall fit for the 21st century, become a people of prayer. We had just a few weeks ago a marvellous home and away weekend. Do you remember that? I, I think it was some of the best teaching on the church I've ever heard. First of all, we had a message from Peter that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation with the people of God. Then we heard a talk from Ephesians, and the talk from Ephesians said, using the language of Gerard Manley Hopkins, we have been eastered by God. We've been made alive with God, we're raised with God, and we're seated with him in the heavenlies. Now this act of becoming a Christian, resting on God, and being eastered by God, is a single act. But, I don't know about you, but it didn't happen to me like that. There was a space between those things. I was 21 working in the city of London when I found Christ, when I was redeemed. But it wasn't until I was 25 that I went to theological college that I began to learn all that I had in Christ. These two things were separate. What really helped me when I got to theological college was that teaching in the Old Testament, do you, do you remember it? The people were slaves in Egypt. They are redeemed. They had that bit of confusion of going round in the wilderness for 30 years or so. And eventually they got to the edge of the promised land, Kadesh Barnea. And Joshua was going to lead them into the promised land. Some of them wanted to stay in Kadesh Barnea. They were redeemed. But they wanted to stay there. The promised land in the Old Testament is not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the riches that we are having Christ. So, he was I between 21 and 25 in a sort of spiritual Kadesh Barnea. I was redeemed, but I didn't know what I had in Christ. It took me a long time, years, before I went to college, before I discovered that I'd been eastered by God, made alive by God, raised by God, seated with God in the heavens, that I could be a holy nation, a royal part of a royal priesthood, a, a holy people, that I'd been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing, that I had the promised Holy Spirit, which was the deposit uh, showing that I had the inheritance to come, that in Christ I had unspeakable riches, manifold wisdom of God, that out of his glorious riches he could strengthen me in the inner man, that I could know him who could do immeasurably more than I could ask or think. We're looking at this Canaanite Gentile woman. She recognizes Jesus as a, the Messiah, and she meets him in his fullness. Do you know how I find Matthew an extraordinary gospel? Matthew was a Jew. He's writing for the Jews. But he can never get the Gentiles out of his mind. Matthew begins with Gentiles. He begins with three wise men from thousands of miles away coming to discover where the Messiah would be born. 
Matthew ends with a Gentile, a Roman soldier saying, this truly is the Son of God. What is this asking from us? I think it's asking that we shouldn't be like the people in the Old Testament, sort of stuck in Kadesh Barnea, redeemed, but not entering to all that God has for them. What is this saying to the faith of the average believer in Bishop Hannington? It says that we must, like this woman, meet the Messiah and find out all he has for us. Let's bow our heads there for a word of prayer. Father, the scripture is so simple when we open it. And we see today that there's very, very clear teaching. As Phil was saying last week, tradition won't help us, religion won't help us, but in Jesus Christ we can have every spiritual blessing. Father, we pray for the fellowship here that it would go on to enjoy all that we should have in Christ. We ask him for Jesus' sake. Amen.